think about this. As persecution against both Christians and Jews is on the increase, in the Bible, Queen Esther and her uncle Mordechai were just two individuals, but together with their intercessors, their prayers and fasting actions were responsible for the deliverance of the entire Jewish community in the world's largest empire at that time. And their great victory caused by the prayers and fastings of a handful of people should teach us never to despise small numbers. God always has a remnant. And God is not obligated to grant victories through the many or through the few. But thanks be to God who always causes us in the end to triumph. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Christine Dar, the fact that Queen Esther and her handmaidens and her uncle Mordechai gave a call to fast and pray for the deliverance of their people is the theme of the Jewish holiday called Purim. It was a time of miracles that saved the Jewish people. God's people are always in potential peril because we're living in a fallen world full of spiritual warfare until the second coming of Jesus when he will return to restore the Davidic kingdom to Israel. Until then, we're living in perilous end times. The Bible says in Daniel 12:1, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, that is the Jewish people, will arise and there will be a time of trouble and distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. The Archangel Michael, who arises on the scene, is the biblical defender of Israel. But because the destiny of America has been intricately tied in with Israel as its close ally, it's not unreasonable to pray that Michael will be involved in the spiritual battle over the United States of America at this time. Many around the world are fasting and praying for the USA, and it has been very heartwarming for me as a native-born American to see such a worldwide outpouring of global prayer for America and for democracy. Although I have now lived overseas for more than half my life, I still have a patriot's heart for my homeland, and that's only natural. The globalists are relentlessly pushing for a one-world government in which national sovereignties will be subjected to them. But God created us with an intrinsic love within our hearts for the lands where we were born and where we spent our childhoods. Bible believers don't pray to angels, but we can petition God to send the warrior Michael to help to defend us in the terrible warfare that we're waging against the powers and principalities, the rulers of the wickedness in high places. Now, I want to share with you a biblical passage that I and others in the body of Messiah have been pondering. The narrative of the sickness of King Hezekiah and his miraculous recovery is found three places in the Bible, 
in 2 Kings 20, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah chapter 38. Due to America's many national sins, many believers have seen a death sentence coming upon the nation, and we have cried out to God to heal us and to give us more time to save souls who have never been in the church. While we eagerly anticipate the second coming of the Lord to put this world right, we're also praying for more time opportunity as the deathly ill King Hezekiah prayed in the Bible, asking for an extension of his life. And according to the prophet Isaiah, God said, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. You see, God mentioned David because God is a covenant-keeping God. And he said, Go tell Hezekiah that I've heard your prayer. I've remembered my covenant with your ancestor, King David. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will add to your life 15 years, and I will deliver you. That was good news. Our God is a healer, and he can heal us and extend our lives if we petition him in faith, as Hezekiah did. He asked for a sign from the prophet Isaiah to verify that all Isaiah had predicted was true. Hezekiah was offered a choice. The shadow of the sundial could go either 10 degrees backwards or forwards. Hezekiah assumed that the sun going backward would be a greater sign since it would go against nature. And God granted Isaiah's prayer and the sign occurred. Now, the Bible writer doesn't say that this was due to the movement of the sun. He did not furnish an explanation. We conclude that God performed a supernatural sign for King Hezekiah by making the shadow on the sundial retreat. Now, I've meditated upon this Bible narrative a lot lately about what we do with the extra time God gives us. As wonderful as Hezekiah's healing and the miracle of the sundial were, during Hezekiah's reprieve from death, he very foolishly showed his treasures to his enemy. Pride overtook him. And in this dangerous hour, it's a real heart burden for me that should the Lord intervene and show mercy to America through a further extended period of grace, it's my burden that believers will bow very low to the ground and pledge always to give the glory to God and not to any man. It's my prayer that pride and arrogance would be far from our hearts and that we would not fall into the same foolishly prideful trap as Hezekiah did, just because we might be given more time. You see, after the calamities of 9-11, the continual cry in the USA was, God bless America, but that was not enough. Now our cry is, God save America, which is closer to the humility that the Lord is seeking from us. One of the big burdens of intercessors is, Will America continue to be the world's bastion of freedom, or will freedom be forfeited to more governmental controls resulting in increasing religious persecution and increased suppression of free speech? For years, we've been reporting and warning that Christian persecution is rising all over the world, but there's been a sharp increase this past year. Various news reports, usually outside of the mainstream media, are telling us that Christians are being slaughtered all across Africa, 
They're being taken to concentration camps in North Korea. Thousands of churches have been brutally shut down under a new wave of persecution in China. And millions of believers live under daily threats. The watchdog organization Open Doors USA says that levels of Christian persecution are at a record high around the world. This is shocking. According to Open Doors, the number of Christians who were martyred in 2020 was 60% higher than 2019. A 1%, 2%, 3, 4, 5, 10% rise in a single year would be ominous, but a 60% increase is a nightmare. Talk about birth pains increasing and coming faster and faster. Furthermore, Open Doors USA also just released the 2021 World Watch list naming the top 50 nations that are persecuting Christians the most. And here's the top 10 list. North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya. Number five is Pakistan, followed by Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and number 10, India. Islamic extremist terrorists kidnapped 11 Christians in Northeast Nigeria on Christmas Day and have executed five of them, according to a video released by the Islamic State's news agency. A video shows five armed members of the Islamic State West Africa province lining up behind five men dressed in orange robes, kneeling with their hands tied behind them. Ordered in the Hausa language to state their names, each of the kneeling men in turn is heard saying his name and adding, I'm a Christian. Then one of the terrorists stated, this is a warning to Christians in all parts of the world and those in Nigeria. Use the heads of these five of your brethren to continue with your ungodly Christmas celebrations. The five Christians were then shot in the head. Riding on trucks and motorcycles, other jihadis opened fire indiscriminately, torched homes in a church, and plundered food supplies meant to be distributed on Christmas Day 2020, according to a news report in Josh, Nigeria. Although traumatized, the Christians remained faithful. And a text by a Nigerian believer on Christmas Day stated that whatever Boko Haram planned against us has failed. Whatever it is, we shall still celebrate Christmas, expressing thanksgiving for our Savior. And he also wrote that we have nothing to offer as our thanksgiving, but we offer our hearts in deep supplication to your majesty, Lord, on this Christmas day. Meanwhile, the Gatestone Institute is a think tank dedicated to educating the public about what the mainstream media fails to report. And such organizations continue to keep us informed about ongoing persecution against the Coptic Christians in Egypt. The Copts are native Egyptians claiming descent from the ancient Egyptians. The Coptic Church is therefore one of the world's oldest churches going all the way back to its founder, St. Mark the Evangelist. Coptic is a word meaning Egyptian. Now, the Coptic Solidarity Group has strongly condemned a court ruling in Upper Egypt that acquitted all defendants in the case of an elderly Coptic grandmother named Soad Tibet. She was stripped, beaten, spat upon, and paraded through the streets of her village by a mob because of a rumor that her son had engaged in a romantic relationship 
with a Muslim woman. Human rights activists have described the acquittal of her assailants as an egregious miscarriage of justice. The gross public humiliation happened four years ago, but only last month was the case decided after multiple delay tactics, including judges recusing themselves and various retrials by different court circuits. The case revealed blatant bias against Coptic victims and was decried as shameful for a country that has employed some form of a modern justice system for the past 150 years. The Coptic Christian women in Upper Egypt dress very modestly. And as a Christian woman myself, I was particularly moved by the reaction of the elderly Coptic woman when she was served this injustice. Upon hearing news of the court ruling, Mrs. Tybet burst into tears, simply saying, What shall I do after being so humiliated? My right, she said, is in the hands of my Lord, who shall render me his justice. I'd like to say a hearty amen to that, and this reminds me of the parable of the unjust judge, one of the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And in the parable, a judge who lacked compassion is repeatedly approached by a poor widow seeking justice. And the judge finally relents and grants her justice due to her persistence, teaching us that we should always pray and not give up. The Christian woman's severe miscarriage of justice highlights other elements of systemic discrimination against Coptic believers in the Egyptian judiciary, retaining Copts as second-class citizens. The grandmother's attack was part of what is called collective punishment commonly used in Egypt to keep Coptic Christians in their place. You know, critics of Christianity often call it a Western imperial religion, but that's a lie. Christianity has existed in Egypt ever since the Apostle Mark took it there, and his tomb is in Alexandria. And the Coptic Christians are to be greatly admired for how they have kept the faith under much persecution, while we in the West have heretofore lived in freedom and have deluded ourselves into thinking that somehow we are immune from persecution. So it's important that now I share with you some thoughts released by the Family Research Council concerning the American evangelical pastor, Andrew Brunson, who was imprisoned for two years in Turkey. Pastor Andrew was arrested in October 2016 during purges after the coup attempt against President Erdogan, and the pastor was released in October 2018 after President Trump had put pressure on Turkey. Pastor Andrew says he believes God was preparing him for the persecution that's coming in the United States. Like so many of us, he thought his life was moving in one direction, to live out his life in Turkey, planting churches. We may make our plans, but the Lord orders our footsteps. The direction of Andrew Brunson's life changed dramatically. And when he was released from prison, he said God carried him back to America to warn believers what is coming. When Pastor Andrew was wrongfully charged and first sentenced to life behind bars, he said nothing had adequately prepared him for the level of persecution that he experienced. But he said God allowed him to go through the ordeal to prepare him to be a voice for others who will face persecution. He said he believes God sent him back to the USA to give the American church a message that there's a real sea change coming 
in this generation. He warned that the hostility towards followers of Jesus will quickly increase. And he says pastors, influencers, and parents need to prepare for it. There are always temptations to compromise in every generation, but the temptation to compromise is going to become greater. Pastor Andrew warned, and we're already seeing it, that those who persecute Christians will justify their actions by saying that Christians engage in hate speech, that Christians are therefore a threat to society, and that Christians are domestic terrorists. We'll be told it's dangerous for you to work in our workplaces and you can't use social media and so forth. And compromise, going along to get along, will be the easy way out. But Pastor Brunson reminds us that Jesus repeatedly prepared his disciples for the harsh reality that the world is going to hate us. Jesus said the disciple is not above the master, that if the world hated him, they will surely hate us also. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Messiah Jesus will be persecuted. So Andrew Brunson outlined for us five important pointers, which I appreciate very much, and I'm going to call them a reality check. Point number one, he said believers should be talking and praying about persecution that's happening right now around the world. Don't be so insular. Be aware that people right now are suffering horrific persecution in many countries. The UK and the USA have been spared in the past despite the sins of our countries because past generations were faithful to God. But that's changing. The nations have become divided and the anti-God forces are becoming very aggressive. Number two, he says it's vitally important to pursue a new intimacy with God. Pastor Brunson was arrested in 2016 for his faith, but back in 2007, he said he'd begun to pray that God would draw him closer to his heart, never realizing how desperately he would need close contact with the Lord. The pastor said God knew that he would go right up to the brink of failure under such intense pressure. But because he had spent years running after God's heart and drawing close to him, God also knew that even in his most difficult time, he would turn to the Lord. It's this intimacy with the Lord that fuels perseverance. Number three, he said, develop the right perspective. Fear of God, not fear of man. Jesus said very clearly, don't fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. Most all of the disciples were martyrs for their faithfulness to Jesus. And so we have to maintain the right perspective and determine that we are willing to pay a price because there may well be a price. One of the sayings of Jesus in the Gospels is, Whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels shall save it. Number four, determine ahead of time that you're going to follow Jesus. That's an especially important point. Pastor Brunson advises that if we make firm decisions now, then we're more likely to have an anchor to hold on to when the winds blow and the storms come. If we don't make a quality decision now that we're going to follow the Lord, then many when we're under pressure, we'll cave in and not have the strength to make biblical decisions. So it's wise to decide ahead of time. Am I willing to pay a price and to cultivate the heavenly perspective in order to be faithful? 
or are we going to go to fear the Twitter mob? And are we going to fear the consequences of obeying God in persecution? Or are we going to fear more the consequences of not obeying God? Pastor Andrew's final and fifth point is for us to stand on this word of God. Of course, to do that, we have to learn and know what this word of God says from cover to cover. That means we've got to be continually studying in the word of God. One of the things lacking most in the Christian community today is biblical literacy. But this is our daily bread. We don't just eat it once a week. It should be daily, constantly. Persecution will reach its peak during the end times and the great tribulation. But despite all of the many prophetic signs that have already been fulfilled, Many believers still balk and absolutely refuse to believe that these are the end times. It's because so many believers are buying into a theology called Kingdom Now, promoted by a lot of charismatics and evangelicals, mainly in the United States. Rather than watching for the imminent second coming of Jesus to take control of this world, the Kingdom Now proponents see the church bringing in God's government on earth and bringing about the kingdom age. At the heart of this theology is the erroneous belief that things are going to get better as Christians progressively take over governments and societies. The fact that God has brought back the Jewish people and established the state of Israel prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Israel and prior to the second coming seems to be irrelevant to the kingdom now proponents. They're so busy engaging in politics and social justice that they're not preaching the ABCs of the gospel and watching for the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is not going to return to a planet that's already filled with peace and prosperity brought about by the church. Rather, the Bible teaches that the last days will be the most difficult and delusional times in human history. But sadly, most believers are biblically illiterate, especially when it comes to eschatology, the study of the end times. The prosperity gospel of wealth and happiness goes hand in glove with kingdom now theology, claiming that the church is going to take over. Persecution and martyrdom are not part of the kingdom now philosophy. So even though signs of the end times are happening exponentially, many Christians are in a deep state of denial. Now then, having shared a lot about persecution today, as another Jewish liberation holiday, Purim, is coming soon, I want to say that there are great answers to prayer throughout the history of the Jewish people and the church. God does eventually triumph over evil when we fast and pray. As believers, we will always be engaged in intense spiritual warfare until Jesus returns. God answers the prayers of the remnant who pray and fast for evil to be overthrown and for breakthroughs so that the gospel continues to bring in a harvest of souls into the invisible kingdom of God. In the Bible, Queen Esther and her uncle Mordecai, remember they were just two individuals, but together with their intercessors, their prayers and fastings were responsible for the deliverance of the entire Jewish community in the world's largest empire at that time. Their great victory caused by prayers and fastings of a handful of people should teach us never to despise small numbers. God always has a remnant. And in the church, we don't despise small numbers. 
First Samuel 14, 6 has meant a great deal to me through the years. And in that verse, David's friend, Jonathan, said to his armor bearer, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Amen. With God, the principle is always not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of the Lord. And we believers should aim to be the Lord's faithful remnant in this hour, doing exploits in prayer and fasting. It's my prayer always for God to give the church his heart for the lost and for the nation of Israel to summons back their Messiah, King Jesus. And this is part of the command to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And furthermore, Isaiah 62, 6 declares to believers, you who are the Lord's remembrancers, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And when we pray that way for the Lord to establish Jerusalem, we're hastening the return of the Lord. There's much more to share at our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. Our ministry, Exploits, is based upon Daniel 11:32, which declares the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will accomplish exploits, meaning we're going to do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before His imminent return. And I have good news to share that recently our ministry reached its goal to supply a great and practical humanitarian gift to Jerusalem's old city on behalf of Israel's emergency rescue service, the Magan Davida Dome. Our ministry partners are donating a new mini ambulance that Israelis creatively call a mule. These all-terrain vehicles can navigate the narrow streets and steps of Jerusalem's walled old city. Ours will be kept in the parking lot of the Jewish quarter, ready to help anybody, Jew, Christian, or Muslim, in a medical emergency. The vehicle will soon be ready to dedicate. Hallelujah. Feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media. And don't forget our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones or tablets. Today, I want to leave you with Matthew 10, 16. Jesus said, Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd, be as wise and wary as snakes and as innocent as doves. Amen. Until next time, I'm Christine Darg, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Maranatha, even so, come quickly. Lord Jesus, Shalom.